Hey, this is Dave Chris. I'm the pastor of We're One based out of Gateway Assembly, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that this equips you and encourages you in your faith to see Jesus more clearly in your life. Let's hit it. I have maybe the weirdest message you're ever going to hear, maybe in your life, but at least from me. I'm not even saying it's going to be the best message. That's not what I said. I want to make sure that's clear so there's not expectations higher than they need to be. It's going to be strange. So what I was asking the Lord is that in doing this, it would be memorable. I want you to walk away and remember certain things that the Lord speaks tonight and be able to equate them directly to your own life. The title of my message, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to at least write down the title. I think you'll appreciate it. The title of my message is, You Fart What You Eat. I told you. Did I not warn you? You fart what you eat. You know, we've been talking a lot about influence, about being an influencer, about what that looks like, about cultivating in our own selves something that would touch the world in a unique way. And I started thinking about this idea of the way the things that we consume influence us And once we find ourselves influenced, the way we influence those around us. See, the reality is, what you eat will influence the way you feel. And often the way you feel, based on what you eat, influences what is released into the world. Can we just, can everybody just, I feel like there's half the room just going... Did he just talk about farts? Is he going to talk about farts the whole night? The answer is yes. Because I think it is, in all honesty, perhaps the perfect metaphor for the idea of influence. God desires that you consume him in a way that it affects you in a way that you naturally release it to the world around you. Because you fart what you eat. Let's get weird together. You know, if you look in Scripture, it's kind of an interesting thought process because we see this picture of food being kind of a central subject to the way God teaches and governs his people. You know, we actually just did, uh, we have a Friday Project episode coming out this Friday, and so we shot it this last Monday. And we, we have some footage of that. Actually, we have a clip from that that we, just check this out. This is my baby girl. So proud. We know it's just, I'm going to do a quick ending. Hello. Play it one more time. You got it. You got to hear that. that? Give, give me that Did one more time. That fart? It's just, I'm going to do a quick ending. Hello. Oh, there it is. Okay, you the that? I was fascinated by this moment. Okay. Literally, it was just the perfection of it. Like, I couldn't have planned. I couldn't have tried to do what I did. Okay, when we shoot, there's a microphone pointed right here. Like, it's literally, like, right there on me. And I have her, and I'm, like, holding her up like this. Booty, like, almost touching that mic. And she just released that into the world. Do you know why? 
It's because the episode we were doing was a pizza taste test. And it wasn't like good pizza. It was like trashy pizza. And so I gave her a little bit of the processed cheese off the top of it just before that. And that's what we got. What you and I consume physically, metaphorically, physically, and spiritually affects us at a level that actually dictates the capacity that we have, food is energy, to operate ourselves. But then past that, what it does is eventually what I consume will be released to the world. One way or another. Because you fart what you eat. It's pretty fascinating if you look in scripture at this idea of food. God sort of seems obsessed with teaching his people the, the proper way to measure what they consume. Like you see him use food as this picture, like from the beginning to the end. The very beginning, what do we see? We see Adam and Eve in a garden. And he goes, hey, eat this fruit. Don't eat this fruit. And God actually from the beginning began to teach his people that he would be able to differentiate between, he'd be able to tell the difference between those who were for him and against him based on whether or not they consumed along the guidelines he gave them. And so I think to a lot of like unbelievers, it can sort of be like, bro, what is up with that Eden story? They literally like ate fruit. And now we all have this? Like there's world hunger and disease and like COVID exists because they ate fruit? And what we neglect is the reality that God actually was teaching his people through boundaries on what they consumed how to regulate their hearts in a way that he would be the supreme ruler of everything they do. So he steps into the garden and he goes, okay, don't eat that, eat that. And they go, uh, we're gonna eat that. And he goes, okay. Well, because you had to consume something that I told you would hurt you and your children, I'm going to have to put you away from me for a time until I can fix this. And then God begins, if you know the story of Scripture, sort of starts with Adam and Eve, and then they have children, and those children have children, and those children have children, and eventually we end up with a man named Jacob whose name was changed to Israel. And then we end up with a man named Moses, and Moses was chosen to lead the people of Israel, and around the time of Moses, God starts to teach his people Hey, eat these things, don't eat these things. Like if you look at the phrase, you fart what you eat, that's a play on what phrase? You are what you eat. You've heard this phrase before. If you look at this phrase, if you think about it, by nature, God designed that if you ate a certain way, you ever heard the word kosher? A lot of you probably have no idea what it means. It literally means that you eat by the Jewish diet. You don't eat pork, you don't eat, I think, shellfish. There's all sorts of things that they don't eat to this day. And God began to teach them that if they ate certain things, 
what it was actually doing was the willingness for them to have that diet was their willingness to align their heart with his desires. And so when we say you are what you eat, like they literally were. They were a Jew in many ways because of what they ate. And if you ate certain things outside of that diet, that would by nature make you a Gentile. And I think this sort of progression that the Lord uses is really fascinating to me. A, because I'm a human and I love food. And B, I think it's really interesting the way that the Lord taught them through practical, tangible things. I can reach out, I can grab it, I can resist and not eat it. I can partake or not partake. Through the practical, tangible process, he taught them about drawing close to his heart. So if we look, we can look in Leviticus 11, chapter 11, verse 7. This is one of the rules God gave them to the Jews. He says, and the pig, though it has a divided hoof, it does not chew the cud. So this is sort of, he's giving them a specific sort of criterion as to what they can and cannot eat. He says, the pig, it is unclean for you. You must not eat their meat or touch their carcass. They are unclean for you. So this is very early on in Israel's history. And what I find fascinating when I read that story, when I read that scripture, is that I know there's another moment that makes this really confusing. Do we want to get confused together? Let's get confused together. So if you go on Acts chapter 11, or Acts chapter 10, verse 11, I mean, Peter, who's this devout Jew from birth, his whole life he's been a Jew. He's lived under these dietary restrictions. He has lived honoring the Lord with, the wet, with what he consumed. Peter's in prayer. And he has a moment where he sees a vision of a sheet being let down from heaven, like a descending bed sheet. I didn't say it wasn't weird. I just said it was in the Bible. Actually, if it's in the Bible, there's a good chance it's going to be weird. That's the best. And this, this sheet is descending from heaven. And he sees in the sheet... Let's just read it. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. See, in this sheet, in this vision, what we see is a bunch of animals like the pig that were restricted. They were unclean. They were told not to eat them. And suddenly God's saying, hey, rise, kill and eat. And Peter's like, what? You told it like, what? You just, like, for thousands of years, you've told us not to touch this stuff. It's kind of like, like, I'm a parent now, so I feel like I'm going to start understanding this very soon. But you know that? That reality where, like, your parents are like, hey, don't do that. And then, like, you see them do it or something, and you're like, hey, aren't we not supposed to do it? And you're like, no, yeah, it's fine. It's like suddenly, it's not like that. I got, I got to come to this, this scripture with the, the premise, the thought, the understanding that God is perfect in the way he teaches, that he has a point and a plan when he says it. And so he says, don't touch it. And then he says to Peter, hey, Peter, 
deep in this moment of prayer, why don't you get up? Why don't you eat this thing that I haven't told you not to eat? And he's like, Peter's like, no, like, Lord, I've never done that. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, the reality is what we often want to reduce God's will down to is, God, what am I allowed to do? Tell me the things I should do and I don't and I shouldn't do. Tell me the things that are in your will and the things that are in your won't. Just, Lord, just, just tell me, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I think what God's actually trying to do is not, hey, bacon, bad, lettuce, good. I don't think that's his point. I think his point is, hey, Peter, I get to reveal to you a deeper understanding of who I am and what I desire for you because you were sitting in a moment of prayer with me in my presence so that I could actually speak this over your life and affect everyone that's going to hear it afterwards. I think what the Lord's actually after, more than just checking off the list of doing all the right things and not doing all the bad things, is a people that would come so close to his presence, the good things would become our very nature to desire, and the bad things become, by very nature, the things that repulse us. I was initially going to do this illustration in the beginning where I was just going to come out and I was going to sit down and have a Wendy's burger and just go at it in front of you. And then I was going to have a second bag if anybody was hungry where you could come up. But in that bag was going to be the, the spinach and kale juice that me and Janelle drink. And see, what sort of fascinates me about this picture is like how much we think from the neck up and the neck down. Like if you think about it, from the neck down, you crave the spinach and kale juice. Your bodies are screaming for it. Your bodies are like, bro, please give me some vitamin C. Like, and let it not be in a packet of emergency that you've distilled down into that much water so it's hyperpotent and filled with sugar this time. Can you please give me an apple or I'm going to die? But the neck up, we're kind of like, oh, man, that chocolate and caramel-covered apple with nuts on it looks fantastic. Come on, amen. And I think what the Lord wants to see in us is a people that could draw so close to him, we could actually allow him to sort of rework our thinking and give us a better understanding of what he meant when he said it the first time. Because it was never about bacon. It was about whether or not they would be a people that would do what was asked of them. See, because he thought he had that in the garden, and then they weren't. Over some food, yet again. He, he created a people in hopes that they, would, that they would follow his lead, and then they wouldn't. And so he brings up the Israelites, and he goes, okay, I'm going to ask you again. Do as I ask. And then they wouldn't. So then he birthed in our hearts the ability to actually have the Spirit of God in us leading us through those pathways to make those decisions. Will you come close? Will you consume what he lays before you? 
because I promise that whatever you let in, you fart what you eat. Will we come close enough to him that he can rewrite some of the rules in our hearts? I have two very simple questions that I want you to just sort of chew on, Ah, no pun intended, as we talk tonight. One, very simply, what are you eating? For some of you, that's a, that's a literal physical question because diet may be the thing that the Lord puts on your heart. For some of you, that is a metaphorical and spiritual question. What are you consuming? What are you eating? What are you eating? And number two, what is it producing in you? I think, hey, hi, I just want to make sure, okay. I think that what we often do is we come into moments like this or we come before the Lord in a moment of prayer or worship or we come to something like collision and we're just like ready for the Lord to break something off of us that he has actually given us the tools to see eliminated in our lives if we would just do it the way he's asked. I, okay, so let me, let me paint you a word picture. I'm a young adults pastor. I have this conversation with young adults a lot. Pastor Steve, I just need you to pray for me. I'm just so anxious. I just live with just immense anxiety. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know. I just can't shake it. And I just, oh, I, 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 will you just, would you just be willing to, like, pray for me so that it would be gone? I'm like, yeah, but, okay. So, like, what's your diet like? Uh, well, you know, like, I, I fast food. Okay. Um, so, like, what do you do in your free time? Like, video games and YouTube. Like, what else? All right. Uh. What do you, like, how much do you sleep? I get a few hours a night. All right. Okay. What time are you going to bed? Like three, four. What time are you getting up? Like three, four. All right. Kind of, like, how often do you, like, spend time with the Lord or, like, listen to worship music? I don't really like worship music. It really bores me. More of a top 40 guy myself. Okay. Well, like, what kind of music do you listen to? I just... I love like like hard rock and and like rap. Okay. And like media entertainment, like what do you like? Like what's your favorite type of movie? I mean, I enjoy thrillers, but I mean, I love horror. Okay. And then I just sort of stand there like Did you come to the revelation yet or uh do I have to spell it out for you? And they just sort of look at you like deer in headlights. I'm like, no? All right, we'll do this the hard way. What if, I'm just going to throw this out there. This might sound totally crazy. But what if the deep anxiety in your soul is God saying, please, for the love of me, stop eating that way, get some sleep, turn off that garbage, and delete those songs. What if, and I think sometimes it's like what we're grasping at in the spiritual realm is so simple 
because the Lord actually made it tangible. Like what you consume matters. When I fill my heart with the garbage of secular rap, of horror movies, a lack of sleep, the fart that that produces from what I ate is anxiety, depression, fear, social isolation, an, an, a lack of desire to be in church with God's people, a lack of capacity. Man, I just, I just can't read my word. Well, maybe if you shut off that garbage music while you're trying to, to read the Bible, it would actually make a whole lot more sense to you. Or maybe if, because this is something I'm so guilty of, like what if we just stopped crowding our minds every moment of the day and just gave some space for silence and solitude and just let the Lord speak in the silence? Like that is such a lost art in this generation. Like maybe what we eat, maybe what we consume on a literal and figurative level actually produces something in us which makes it controllable. And I think that's the part that I think I find the most fascinating. Because we often come to these moments with the Lord or with others and we're just like, I just can't control it. I just, I, I, have, I am just helpless. It's like, no, no. What if we actually took control over some of the things that the Lord has put at our disposal that are actually the open door for all of the things that we're experiencing? I just, I cannot stop cussing when I'm at school with this, like, certain group of friends. Okay. What if we didn't hang out with those people? That would actually probably do a whole lot. And typically, the influence that we're looking to portray to the world, the way we could make it positive or negative for the kingdom is, with, is entirely within our grasp if we would care enough to situate our lives in the way that the Lord has asked. And can I... Because I'm an old fogey, okay? I am now 30 years old. I am a dad. I have passed the threshold of ever again potentially being considered cool. So let's just stack it on. Can I sit on this idea of music for a second? Guys, you fart what you eat. I'm telling you. Like, there is a reason that I, I have a hard, fast rule that, like, I need the Lord's heart behind the music that I let in. See, when I was in college, I'll tell you two stories about college. When I was in college, it's really interesting. What we say a lot of times is, like, and we say it with good hearts, like, if you can't worship in the silence before the Lord, then it's not really worship. And that's, that's valid. We were just talking about, like, we need, we need silence and solitude in our lives. But here's the reality. We worship with music for a reason. Like, it, it enhances the experience of laying our hearts before the Lord. It's very intentional. It's not a random act. Like, God designed it that way. And see, so when I was in college, they used to do these things at the college that I went to called Quaker services. And the Quakers are a, a segment of believers, of Christians who they incorporate silence and solitude like a lot, like a little much. They're the people responsible for your Quaker oatmeal, if you were wondering. And they would have these Quaker services where 
The men would sit on one side of the sanctuary, and the women would sit on the other. And we would basically sit in silence. And it was so awkward. Like, you, you get a certain number of skips for chapel, whether you're a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, like, it goes up. Like, the people at the Quaker services, you knew those homies were out of skips because that was the first one on the list to go. And there's a certain sense of its awkwardness in worship came from its exclusive silence. Not that there's, there's a point in a moment for silence, but you understand what I'm saying. I remember when a little Philly broke my heart a little bit in college. And Need to Breathe's album, The Reckoning, had just come out. It's an amazing album, actually. At least at the time, good Christian dudes. I don't know where they're at now. I feel like it's such a fluid thing with these people sometimes. That album came out, and this girl had just sort of broke my heart. It wasn't Janelle. Don't, you don't have to look at her. She just sort of broke my heart a little bit. I was, it was, I was just a stupid idiot who got way too wrapped up in my own feelings. It was perfect. She, I was an idiot. I'll just leave it there. And that album had just come out. And there's a song on there that goes, I ain't looking for a free ride on back to the middle. I need a new locale. I need a girl who calls me baby. I got to know if she can save me. And after she broke my heart, I was listening to that album, and I would literally scream those lyrics out my window <laughs> from my dorm. I'm not joking. Literally, I got the music cranked, and I go, I need a girl who calls me baby. I got to know if she can save me. Can I tell you that to this day, when that album comes on in a playlist here or something like that, I am a 21-year-old boy screaming out my dorm room again? Like, I'm not joking. Like, there is an experience tied to that music. There is an emotion tied to that music. It immediately elicits something in me as soon as I hear it. There's certain music like that, even by Christian artists, that I just know the frame of mind I was in when I first received it, that I know I have to be in a certain frame of mind to be able to hear it because it might mess with my head. King David in Scripture, he was brought before King Saul because King Saul had an evil spirit on him. Actually, calls it an evil spirit from God. Maybe someday, someday Pastor Dave will break that down for you because I don't totally get it either. And Saul had this evil spirit and one of his attendants said to him, let us go find someone to play the harp for you so that when they play the harp, the evil spirit will leave you. And Saul thought it was a good idea. So they brought David to him. And we see this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. Whenever the spirit, of, spirit from God came on Saul, David would take, take up his lyre, his harp. It's kind of the uh, grandfather of the guitar. And he would play. Then relief would come to Saul he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. I want you to take note that David had been in Saul's presence before, and the evil spirit didn't leave. It doesn't say that the evil spirit left when David came in the room, and David brought with him the anointing to be priest and king of Israel and the anointing of the hand of God on his life. It says that the evil spirit left him when he began to play the music 
can I suggest that if the evil spirit can leave when I begin to play the music, that the evil spirit can also come when I begin to play other types of music? See, there's, you know those songs in worship that it's like you can't get through them without like bawling your eyes out, sensing the Lord's presence. It's striking something in you. And it's even like the whole rest of the song, it's like, yeah, it's really good. But then it gets to that part and you're like, wow. It's like, peace like a river. It's like, yeah, Lord, thank you. But then it goes, Lord, send revival. You're like, wow, yes, Lord, this is what I want to see you do in the earth. And it just like comes out of you from somewhere you didn't know you had. I would suggest that it is because in that moment, the writer of that song felt and received a very specific anointing from the Lord to write those words. I believe that anointing is actually carried in the song so that when you and I sing it, even if that writer is no longer present in the room, the anointing, the word from the Lord, the presence of God, the specific thing he was doing is carried in that, embodied in those lyrics so that the will of the Lord, the revelation of Christ might be expressed in that moment. To, to be honest, for us, it's what's terrifying about recording music. Because in a moment, you might make a split decision to change something, and you're actually embodying something permanently. It's kind of terrifying. But I want to submit to you. I'm going to get off the music thing, but I want to submit to you. Music, entertainment, YouTube, whatever it is. If, if one way of doing it has the capacity to eject the evil from a room, then one way of doing it has the capacity to invite the evil in the room. And those lyrics do not need to be, come devil, come. I'm going to be honest, it probably won't. Because I bet that most of you aren't listening to that type of music. I know it exists, but I know that most of you, that's not what you're going to lean towards. But most of you, some of the things you like, some of the things you like to jam out to, there's a good possibility that it's actually producing some deep anxiety in your heart, some deep depression. Because God designed anxiety just to pop the bubble. That was him. Anxiety is God telling you, hey, stop it. Do something different. This thing is making you feel a certain way because if I did, if I allowed you to do whatever you wanted, feeling however you wanted, you'd do crazy things. So I'm going to build into you indicators that tell you when you step into certain territory, hey, I'm not supposed to be here, which is fantastic news because what that means is if I can step out of that territory and get back into the presence of God, those things immediately go away. It's why many of you feel very different in a moment of worship than you do when you go back home and fill your life with what you've normally been filling it with. All right, I'll get off the music thing for a second, but guys, it's so important. It's so important. And a lot of you, I think what often happens is it's like, well, I don't like worship music. It bores me. It's like, okay, who cares? <laughs> Like, where in Scripture did God say that you're going to not be bored ever? He said, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you as well. 
He said, I promise you that if you obey my commandments, I will heap blessing on your life. There may be moments of that where you won't enjoy it. That's all right. Obedience is the blessing. And my good friend John Garrett was just here with us this weekend. We were in the kitchen. I was asking him just some of the things he does, like, dude's just in such good shape. And I'm like, what do you do for, like, stretching your back and, like, yoga-type stuff or, like, workouts that I can do to, like, help the pain that I feel in my back? And he's explaining it, and I was like, yeah, but, like, how do I enjoy it? He's like, well, you just do this. And I was like, no, but how do I like, how do I, give me a workout that, like, I won't hate. And he gives me, and I was like, no, but, like, how, how do I make myself enjoy it? And he goes, at some point you decide you're an adult and you go, I'm going to do these things for the benefit of them, not because I enjoy them in the moment. And I was like, okay. It's so true, though. We're always looking to enjoy every little thing that the Lord asks us to do. And what happens is, in reality, there's an overarching joy that comes from a life of obedience from the Lord. But that doesn't mean that every little thing that is asked of you is going to be your favorite thing to do. It may be terrifying or it may be frustrating. But when I give my life to the obedience that, you know what, I don't I have any clue why he'd say not to eat that fruit. It looks just as fine as that. It doesn't even look as good as that one. But I'm going to just trust that he said no. And that's going to be enough for me because the obedience is what precedes the blessing. I think we got to stop this selfishness that we develop a lot of times that my life is about serving me and my desires. It's about what I want. It's about what I like. If you carry that, you will have the most miserable marriage you could ever imagine. I can promise you that because I've had those moments. Oh, Lord Jesus, have I had those moments. My band teacher in high school, we used to say, Mr. Preeze, I hate this song. I don't like this song. He'd go, you don't have to like it. You just have to play it really well. It's always what he'd say. Mr. Preeze, I don't like this song. You don't have to like it. You just have to play it really well. There's this moment in Genesis chapter 4. Where these two brothers, you know it, Cain and Abel, the sons now of the aforementioned Adam and Eve who disobeyed, and their children watched that disobedience. They learned from it. That is the proverbial fart. The thing that was left lingering because you had something you shouldn't have had, and it affected other people. It's a fart. It's a good analogy. You can, you can receive it. It's all right. It's a good metaphor. You're going to remember this one. Genesis chapter 4, there's this moment where Cain offers his offering before the Lord. And it says essentially that the Lord was displeased with his offering, but he looked favorably. He was, he was okay with Abel's offering. And Cain gets mad about it. And God says to him, and he goes, why is your face downcast? Why are you so ticked off? You see what, you see what we're talking about? Cain is anxious and depressed and angry and bitter. Why? Because he disobeyed the Lord's commandment. It's actually really simple if we break it down in sequential terms. He did what God asked him not to do, and it produced in him a fart. And Cain's angry. It says his face is downcast. And God says, why is your face downcast? Why are you so angry? 
And then God says this to him. He goes, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I want to sit on that last phrase just for a second. There's, in the New King James Version, I think, it actually says, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And I read this maybe a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, and it just like struck me like it never has struck me before. And the reason it struck me was simply this. If we back up to Genesis chapter 3, where God is talking to Adam and Eve, slapping them on the hand for, for doing what they were not supposed to do, God does not curse Adam and Eve. Their actions cursed themselves. God explains to them what they did to themselves. I think it is very important to understand it that way. God is not saying, I curse you with this and this and this. God is saying, okay, because you chose a life apart from me, these are the consequences that I warned you about when I told you not to do it. It's the anxieties. It's the depression. Those are the curse. It's those feelings. Those are the curse. That is me stepping away from the presence of God. God says something to Eve that stuck out at me when I read this thing that he says to Eve's son, Cain. He says to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. He says to the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. All the mothers said amen. He said, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. What God is doing right here is he's actually explaining to Eve. This is, this is the inception of the battle of the sexes. You know how we don't see eye to eye guys and girls on like anything? And it seems like it's a constant struggle and battle. This was God prophesying that right here. It's a part of the curse. They lived in a harmony in the garden that we no longer have. They lived in a harmony in the garden that we lost, that is restored in and only in a new covenant Christian view of marriage via Ephesians, Galatians, because when those guys write about marriage, what he actually begins talking about is mutual respect, mutual submission, mutual protection. So it's actually restored in Jesus and in the Gospels. But in this moment, God's explaining to them, okay, this is what's going to happen now. Eve, woman, your natural inclinations in your marriage will be to dominate him. All the men were like, Amen. And he says to the man, your natural inclination in your marriage will, to be, will be to harshly subject her. So began the battle of the sexes. But what fascinated me and stuck out at me when I read this is the language that God used. Especially if you read it in the New King James Version. He says to Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And then it says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband, but he, sh he shall rule over you. It's the exact same language. And it just fascinated me. See, if you look at us 
New Testament believers, that's you and I, Gentiles brought into the kingdom, grafted into the branch that was Israel because of God's grace and mercy on us. If you look at us, we're described as what? The bride of Christ. We're the husband, or we're the wife now. We're Eve. And I think what hit me is how those two things that God said to Cain and Eve are so succinctly locked when we look at our own lives. Stephen, you are the bride of Christ. But your desire will be to dominate Christ's will and subject Christ's will under your own will. But he should rule over it. Your natural inclination will be to take what you want and put it as greater importance than what your husband wants for you. But he should be the one that rules over it. If you'll choose to submit. Cain, sin is crouching. Like, look at this picture. Look at the picture that God's painting to Cain. Like, you open up a door. Here's sin. Hello. Here's sin right here. You open up your door. And I've gotten so close to it, I can't even see it anymore. I've gotten so close to it, I'm so fixated on what's going on out here, what I want to know about the world, what I want to see done in the world, what I think is frustrating or important to me, that I've actually opened the door to allow it in. And it desires to have me. It desires to subjugate me and make it its slave. But Cain, you must rule over it. You must rule over it. Will you rule over it? That's the question of your life. That's the question I think the Lord's going to ask you tonight. Will you rule over it or will you be subjected to it? Will you rule over yourself or will you be subjected to every will, whim, and passion that comes your way. You know, there's this big lie right now in culture that says, well, I can't help who I love. Eh, wrong. You will love the people that you surround yourself with, that you give your time, attention, affection, eyes, ears to, your physical body to. You will begin to align yourself with, you become sympathetic and compassionate towards things that the Lord said no to simply by you being around it so much that it becomes natural and normal to you. You will never, girls, you will never fall in love with the guy that you see once every three years on the other side of the cafeteria. You will fall in love with the guy that you see on the other side of the cafeteria And then you start stalking his Instagram. And you start trying to Snapchat him. And then you find yourself at his table the next day. And then you shift your schedule to make sure you're in his classes. And then you get the restraining order. Because you all should have some restraining orders on some of you. Don't tell me that you can't help who you love. 
It's just, it's a false idea because the reality is you will become invested in and sympathetic towards the needs and wants of those that you surround yourself with. So my question to you is, will you rule over the passions and desires of your heart? Or will you be its slave? Those are your two options. It's very simple. Will you rule or will you be its slave? And what's interesting in the kingdom is what, what most people do is they, they serve themselves in an effort to try and rule over others. That's, most, that's what most people want, if you were really gut-level honest with yourself. I want to get what I want, I want to serve me, and I want to eventually be at the top, ruling over others. And what actually is asked of us in the kingdom is, will you rule over yourself so you have the capacity to serve others? And it is so upside down, backwards, inside out, that we almost read past that kind of stuff and don't take it with any sort of sense of seriousness. What the world is telling you is serve yourself. If you want it, take it. If you can get to the top, do it. And what the kingdom is all about, what the word asks of us, what Jesus came to do, is he came to rule over himself that nothing would happen outside of the will of God in his own life. And in ruling over himself, he actually gained the capacity to be of useful service to those around him. Because there was no ego poking out. There was no pride. There was no selfish desire when he goes to serve someone else that he's going to use that to actually lord it over them. It was simply that he was so in himself ruled. Paul says, I beat my body and I make it my slave. These men ruled over themselves in such a way that they could serve other people around them. Because they recognized that if I service every desire I have, if I consume everything that looks tasty, the other side of that is the worst fart you have ever experienced in your life. Because you fart what you eat. I know it's gross, but I want you to remember this. You see, there's some moments, if we just pause for a second, let's just, let's have a moment together about this whole fart thing. There's some moments where God is going to ask you in serving others and ruling over yourself to just let one rip and just clear the room as it were, to stand up boldly and be a used vessel. That will be the, the act of service to others. The way you're going to influence is you're going to step in and you're going to just send it. And everybody's going to know what happened. And everybody's going to know where it came from. And everybody's going to know exactly what we just experienced. And then there's moments where how the Lord's going to ask you to influence the world around you. Is you're just going to slip in that old SBD. The old silent but deadly. And you're going to be there, and you're going to actually release something on, into that room. But nobody's going to know where it came from. But everybody's going to know what happened. 
I know it's stupid. I get it. But I really want you guys to remember this. See, God truly has a measure of influence that he desires to pour out on your life. Like, we, we, we say this kind of stuff a lot. I get that. I get how easy it can be to tune out and go, yeah, 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 I know. That's what you say every week. Like, God truly, for every single one of you, has a measure of influence that he desires to pour out on your life that you would be useful in serving the world. He does. But you know one of the fastest ways to become ineffective in your influence around is to satisfy every desire that you find coming your way. It robs you of the capacity to sense his presence, to hear his voice, to know how to respond in that moment. It steals your very capacity to even know what he's asking, much less respond to it. You see, most mornings when I come out and go to kiss my wife, Janelle's already been with Mana for a little bit. I'll give her a kiss. You know what I'll smell? Peanut butter. My wife loves peanut butter. We make these like smoothies most a lot of mornings, and she loves peanut butter. You know what someone has been consuming when you get close enough to them because you smell it on them. You know what they've been up to because your senses perceive it when you get close enough. I want to be someone I am like, like, like I'm like in a pro, like process right now. Like I'm truly, like I so desire to be someone that if you get close enough, what you're going to smell is his presence on my breath. Because we've been speaking face to face like friends. Like, like I, more than any other time in my life, like I want to be someone that you can't, escape his presence if you get close enough to me. But the smell of, of who he is gets robbed by the other tastes I put on my lips. The fragrance of his presence dissipates with every other cheap substitute that I swallow over my gums. You dilute the smell. And maybe you really did have an encounter with him. But it becomes really hard to express it when what's coming off my lips is the same trash that they smell everywhere else they go in the world. It's really hard for them to believe that, that's anything, that what you have is anything special when you smell like everything else they smell. I want to be someone that truly, truly, if you get close enough to me, you'll know I was with him. Like, I've said that at points in my life where I, I think I meant it. But, man, like, right now, like, 
like, I so truly, like, desperately want to be that man. I want you to know that I've been with him, and I want you to look at me and realize that I am a failure, and I am no different than you in every respect. And look at me and go, man, if he can be with him, if he can smell like that, if he can be in his presence in that way, I can. He's no better than me. I want to end with a little bit of encouragement. The Lord has been asking me to, to memorize what I, I may, may be my life first. I don't know. It's been something the Lord's been speaking to me for five, six years at this point. And last week, I felt like he asked me to start memorizing it. And I want to encourage you with it because a lot of what we talk about in these moments is like, oh, I know, I know what I need to do, but oh my goodness, you have no idea what you're asking of me. You have no idea how hard that's going to be. No, I do. If it was easy, it wouldn't be worth anything to the kingdom. That's the whole point. The depth of the difficulty of your obedience is what makes it a sweet-smelling savor to his nostrils. That it costs you something is the whole point. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30. verses 11 to 15 where God is teaching his people one last time right before they go into the promised land how to live what to consume and he sort of makes a pause right before the end where he says this he says now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into the heavens to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you'd have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. And then he ends with this. He goes, see, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction. I want to focus on just three parts of that real quick. First part, here's the encouragement. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. He goes, it's not up in heaven. It's not across the sea. He goes, no. The word, the promise, what I'm asking of you, the blessing, the word's very near you. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart, so that you may obey it. The word is very near you, it's in your mouth. What I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. The word has come near you, it's in your mouth, it's in your heart. See, I set before you today life and prosperity death and destruction. I want to propose to you as we close that the Lord gives you the keys to your future. He's deeply invested. He cares immensely. But he doesn't want it 
if it wasn't, unless the only way it means something to him is if it was first offered to you and you gave it back to him. And I want to encourage you that as we talk about really analyzing what am I eating? What is it producing in me if I was really honest? Am I willing to rule over it? Like, am I willing to take the necessary steps to crush it into submission in a way that I will never again be its slave? Like, am I willing to really examine my heart and figure out what am I consuming? What is it doing to me that I maybe wasn't paying attention to? Maybe I'll ask somebody who I really love, who's close to me, who knows the Lord really well, go, what do you see in me? Like, what is being produced in me that I'm not noticing? And when I know what it is, will I kill it? Or will I leave the door open enough that it can sneak in and destroy me and my family? But I want to encourage you, if you will lean into the Lord's presence in doing this, then what he's commanding you today is not too difficult for you. It's not beyond your reach. But I would beg you, because the choice is yours, life and prosperity, death and destruction. I would beg you to choose life. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? We're just gonna take a moment right here. I wanna just, as we sit, before the Lord, just for a second. I want to go through those questions again, and I want you to answer them in your own heart. And I want to encourage you to sincerely seek somebody out who you really know, who knows you really well, and who really loves the Lord and like truly has kingdom interests in mind for you. And have that conversation. One, what are you eating? What are you consuming that you know the Lord is not pleased with? It just came to your mind right now. It's the thing you want to go, no, 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 it's not that. No, it can't be that. It's that. What are you consuming? Answer it honestly, just to your heart. It's just you and the Lord. What's it producing in you? Like, what are the fringe things, sort of the things on the outskirts that are, that are coming up and rearing their heads because you've given that place, you've given that thing a place of authority, because you allowed that thing a seat at the table? What is it producing because of that? And number three, will you kill it? And it's not a maybe. It's not an I don't know how. It's not a, oh, I guess if if God helps. It is a very simply a yes or no question. And I promise, if you'll be real, it's a yes or no question that could literally change your entire life. This is not one of those like, oh, this is going to really help you out tomorrow in your leadership skills. This is like, if you choose to respond to what the Lord's speaking right now, it could change or save your entire future, your entire marriage, your entire family, your calling can be lost to the things you consume so quickly. Will you kill it? 
will you choose to rule over it? Or will you let it rule over you? And let me be clear, I am screaming this message in a mirror before I ever come and do it with you guys. Nobody's exempt from this. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over you. And then we're going to worship. Just one more song. We're going to go before the Lord. And we're going to go, Lord, this is what I believe you've done in me. You're revealing a lot of things in my heart right now that I'm trying to understand, that I'm trying to figure out, that I'm trying to lean into and really come close. But we're going to sing and we're going to go, Lord, but I truly believe this is what you've done in me. So would you flesh it out? Would you make it more concrete? And we're going to believe that together, that what he's commanding us to do this day is not too difficult for us or beyond our reach. We're going to choose life together. Would you close your eyes with me? If you want to receive Jesus for the first time right now or come back to him and you realize that I maybe I came to him, but I have not walked it out, I want you very simply to just pray this in your heart. Dear Jesus, would you please save me? I have given myself to myself and to my selfish desires. I desperately need salvation. I believe you are the Lord and I'm asking you to first rule over my life and teach me to rule over myself. Let me pray over you and then we're gonna worship. Jesus, I thank you for every person. If this is you, just put your hands out in front of you if you wanna receive this. Jesus, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice, whether our family online or those in the room, Lord, that you would release on them a measure of influence to touch the world like they've never experienced, but that it would start with ruling over the things that are influencing them. Lord, that we would recognize that what we let in can either ruin us or rule or give us the privilege of ruling over the nations. Lord, I thank you that every person in here who is truly sincere in their heart, Lord, you're laying before them steps and you're bringing people into their life that they will be able to rule over these things because what you're commanding is not too difficult and it's not beyond our reach. Lord, teach us, teach us how to take the things that try to enslave us and gloriously lay them before you and let them become our testimony. Teach us, King Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, now we lay it before you in worship. And we ask for you to speak. Speak over us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.